Uh, well, my name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of our pastors here at Redemption Hill. Really grateful that you're able to come and worship with us this morning. So uh, if you are new, we'd love for you to fill out the Connect card at the bottom of your worship guide, or you can go to rhc.church forward slash cc and just let us know that you're able to join us today, and we'll send you a quick note thanking you uh, for coming and uh, worshiping with us. Well, let me pray, and then we're going to dive right into Jonah chapter 2 this morning. Father, we are grateful that you have loved us, that you have pursued us, that you have extended your grace in such a way that we would have never dreamed. And Father, we have sung of your grace this morning, and God, we're going to hear of your grace now through the story of Jonah. Lord, would you open our eyes to see who you are, who we are, and the lives that you want to lead us toward. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, uh, this Friday, I was able to serve as one of the volunteers in Mrs. Stewart's second grade elementary class at the Brooks Elementary here in West Medford. Now, it just so happens that one of her star students also happens to be my daughter, all right? So she was my, she was my in to this experience, and I was really like, I, I got to admit, every year I'm volunteering at this time because... This was like my favorite thing as an elementary kid, and that was, yes, maybe you already have guessed, field day, all right? Anyone remember field day? Who had field day at your school? Raise your hand, nice, I, I want to see you, all right? Yeah, I see some smiles out there. I mean, field day is just an awesome experience. So, um, I, you know, I want to sign up to be with Parker to help Miss Stewart out with all these rambunctious second graders. And, you know, we just had a great time walking from the Brooks Elementary to Playstead Park, um, all of the different games. They love plug the leak, you know, a little cup with a hole in it, and they're running down and trying to dump the water into a bucket. And, uh, you know, they had a Frisbee uh, toss game, um, just a lot of different activities for them to enjoy. Uh, but my personal favorite, uh, thinking back to uh, my days as an elementary school kid, was tug of war, all right? And so uh, just thinking about field day this week, I was reminiscing and able to tell my girls about one of the kids in my class whose name was, check this out, Robbie Rich, all right? And Robbie, man, this kid, all right, he was like football kind of lineman, you know, build, all right? And so Robbie had an ability to put himself at the back of the rope. And I'm telling you, nobody's going to move my, my boy Robbie, all right? So whenever Robbie was in your class, I mean, it was almost an automatic W for you to win the tug of war. And I'm telling you, I loved Field day, I love the tug of war, and I especially loved it when Robbie Rich was in my class because we were going to take some people down out on field day, all right? Um, so what does that have to do with Jonah? Um, so you're thinking, man, this is like nothing. Uh, actually, it, it has almost, in that metaphorical sense, everything to do with the book of Jonah because what we find here is a tug of war between God and between his prophet named Jonah. All right, so just picture this. I mean, as you're reading through the book of Jonah, you can picture God on one end of the rope and Jonah on the other end of the rope, and they are in a battle of tug of, tug of war. And now, I don't think it would be a spoiler alert to tell you, like, who wins this, this battle of tug of war, okay? Like, I hate, you know, it's like, don't, don't spoil the story, right? Um, but I think it's pretty obvious. And because it's so obvious, I would just go ahead and pose kind of the question, like, why do we even begin to think that we can contest God on anything 
But yet that's exactly what we're prone to do, right? We're, uh, I hope that you'll learn much about God as we study the book of Jonah. He is the main character, but I hope you will learn much about yourself because we are a lot more like Jonah than we often think. And so what has happened so far, we started this book last week, and in chapter 1, what we learn is the tug of war starts like this, okay? God says to Jonah, his prophet, his messenger, hey, I want you to go to this great city of Nineveh in the Assyrian Empire, it was their most important city, and I want you to this city of over 120,000 people, okay, that is like one of the biggest cities in the world at that point, I want you to cry out against them because their evil has like risen up before me. So God God had a plan for the book, the people of Nineveh. He wanted them to turn back to his ways, God's ways. God wanted to, the people of Nineveh to know that God not only exists, but God is holy, and we should live our lives in such a way that reflect who he is. But instead of being God's prophet, Jonah pulls back on his side of the rope and he becomes God's fugitive, okay? Because what happens is instead of going northeast to Nineveh, Jonah takes off in the completely opposite direction. He goes down to the port city of Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea and he pays his fare to sail to a city known as Tarshish, which most scholars believe was about as far as you could get in the known world at that time. But the tug of war doesn't stop there, right? God sends a storm to pull back and to grab Jonah's attention. And that is where we find ourselves with Jonah on the boat, being confronted by God in the storm. And God will not stop the storm until Jonah finds himself in the sea, thinking that he is facing an imminent Death. That is where we pick up this morning. So if you would, read along with me. I'm going to read verse 17 of chapter 1, and then all 10 verses of chapter 2, which amount to a prayer that Jonah offers to God in this story. So Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 17, it says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. Deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah's prayer here is in the form of a song, or sometimes the Bible calls particular songs, psalms. All right? We have a whole book of psalms, 150 of them, in the middle of the Bible. And this song is really a song of thanksgiving for salvation that God is bringing Jonah. Okay, so just some parts of this, if you were to trek through, um, we can see that there's an introductory summary. There's a crisis situation of what's happening with Jonah. There is the cry for help, right? So he is crying out in the middle of his distressing situation. And then there is a description of deliverance that God brings Jonah And then it culminates with vows of worship and praise praise to God. So, in light of this being a song of thanksgiving, I thought I would do my best to not write a song for you today, all right, but to put my outline in rap format, all right? So, um, you know, I like to rhyme on occasion, and we're just going to give you the two main thoughts in rap format, right? So, so just hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll remember it, or at least for a couple days, all right? So uh, number one, check this out. Let despair drive you to prayer, all right? What, uh, that's not good? You're laughing? You're laughing at it, huh? Let your despair drive you to prayer, okay? What does it say? It says that Jonah, in verse 17, that as he's tossed into the sea by these sailors, he is drowning at sea until God sends a great fish, we aren't sure what type of fish it was, all right, that's really inconsequential um, to the story, but God sends this fish to swallow Jonah alive. And Jonah is in this fish for three days and three nights. I mean, it's almost like it's, it's crazy because whenever we hear the story of Jonah, especially we talked about last week, we've seen it in a children's Bible, really the, almost the entire focus is usually on the fish, right? And it's all about Jonah in the fish. But the way that it's reported here is just in a matter-of-fact way. Hey, this is what God's doing. God is getting Jonah's attention by tossing him into the sea. And then to deliver Jonah, God sends this great fish to be his vehicle of salvation. Of course, Jonah doesn't know this when he is drowning at sea and then he's swallowed by a well. I mean, Jonah, from his perspective, he's done, right? He's finished. And that's why he offers this prayer to God. He cries out from the belly of the fish. And what we see here in verses three through six especially, because verse two is really a summary statement of what's happening, we, we feel the weight of Jonah's desperate situation as he describes it for us here in this chapter. Jonah was a man in distress. It's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around the emotional torment that he must have been facing in these moments as he is literally sinking deep into the sea. Jonah is 
going down into what he describes as, in verse 2, the belly of Sheol. Some translations would say the depths of the grave. Okay, This was a term that was always associated with death. Someone who has died goes to Sheol, or someone that is, is going to Sheol is on the brink of death. And that is what Jonah is saying here. He's saying, man, I am going down, and I am on the brink of death in these moments. And so he tells us about this traumatic experience in, in verses 3 through 6. He, he says that he was cast into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded him. Waves and billows were passing over him. He was driven away from God's presence, God's protection, it seemed. He goes on in verse 5, and he says that the waters were closing in over him. They threatened to take his life. Weeds, like seaweed, is wrapped around his head. And this is all not only um, an account of what is happening to Jonah, but it is an account in poetic terms, right, to help us feel the weight of what's happening to him. One scholar put it, put it like this. He, he says that, that as these, these weeds were, were, were uh, Wrapping around him, that taking together these words give the impression that Jonah is being wrapped in, a gra- in grave clothes and buried in a tomb. Jonah was in a very desperate situation. Certainly, he is in the throes of despair as he considers what's about to happen to him. And it's as he is sinking to rock bottom, both physically and emotionally and spiritually, that God in these moments awakens Jonah to who he is and what he wants for Jonah's life. Jonah may have been on the run, but as we talked about last week, God was running after him. And so God runs after Jonah through a storm. God runs after Jonah through this fish, swallowing him. And Jonah remembers, and he calls out. Verse 4, he says, Yet again shall I look upon your holy temple. At this point, when he realizes how far he is from God, he begins to turn back to God. The temple was always associated primarily with the worship of God's people in Israel. Okay, So that, that place was associated with God's presence and his glory being made known. And they would go and worship there and offer sacrifices to God as an act of worship to say, God, you are most important to me. I am willing to, to give up of my own resources to honor you and to show that, God, I have blown it. I have gone away from you, but you welcome me back in and I'm going to praise you for that. I'm going to consider you higher than anything else in my life. Jonah is driven to prayer because of his desperate situation. Do you you know how this works in your own life? Does your despair ever drive you to prayer? I mean, we understand how the world works, right? Um, We live in a real and changing world, sometimes very enjoyable, sometimes very painful, sometimes very beautiful, sometimes very broken. We can see just what's happened in England over the past couple of weeks, including last night, and know that we live in a broken world. 
And not only is there brokenness around us, but as we often say here at Redemption Hill, there's not only brokenness around us, but there is brokenness within us. And we have to see the brokenness within us. We have to know that God wants us to come to him and to cry out to him when we see that brokenness so that we will return to him and his plans for our lives. Jonah calls out, and it says in verse 2 that, that he calls out, and then it says that he cries out. Okay, this is, like, this is not just like when we read the Bible, it's so easy to just kind of read it in kind of you know, black and white mute terms, okay? But this is like Jonah screaming out at the top of his lungs for God to deliver him, to save him from death. And it's often in our most desperate situations that we come to God and we ask for his help. Now, I think we would all say, like, hey, Tanner, that's, like, that's pretty natural, right? Like, uh, who could fault us for, like, when we really have the biggest needs in our life going on, that, that we would be, you know, moved to then pray and to ask God for help. And, and, and listen, um, if, if that's been your kind of normal experience with going to God or, uh, you know, prayer to God, that's not, that's not a bad thing. God uses the brokenness around us. He uses the brokenness within us to grab our attention and to make us call out to him. But but let me encourage us all, right? Because we're all prone to this, that God not only wants our brokenness, but he also wants our beautiful moments as well. I mean, think about it. If we're only going to God in the moments of what we perceive to be our extreme need, which the perception part is really key, right? Because we miss our need at all the other times. But, but if that's when we go to God, like who is this relationship really about? It's about us, right? God, I need you. God, come through for me. God, get me out of this mess. What about just going to God for God? What about just spending time with God because there's no one you'd rather spend time with? What about spending time in prayer because the relationship that you enjoy with God is more meaningful to you, is more significant than any other relationship that you could ever experience in this life? God wants us in our brokenness. But God wants a relationship, a vital, vibrant relationship with us at all times. So this is what, like, wow, this is what gets me about this story here. Is that God is tracking Jonah down. He is running after him. I would encourage you, go read the the story of the prodigal son or, or the lost son, okay, in Luke chapter 15. A lot of times, again, we think, like, this story is about the son. Well, the story is not just about the son, but the story is more about the loving father who is willing to welcome his son home after he has rebelled against him and after he has shamed him and to the point where the father does what? He's not only looking for him to come home, but when he sees him far away, what does the father do? He runs. He goes after his son. This is the heart of God. He is chasing after us. And God is chasing after Jonah. It is his kindness that is leading us to come back to him. 
And so, listen, last week we talked about how that God is a good father. And good parents, they discipline their children when they need it, right? And so I think if you're a good parent, um, you, you don't just kind of like drop the hammer with the most severe consequences on your kids, right? Like uh, you just kind of like give them a heads up. You give them a warning. You give them a small consequence. If they don't listen, you increase that consequence so that they'll learn what it means to, to live in a, in a way that is good for them and best for them. It's going to protect them and promote their flourishing, right? And this is how God works with us. Don't you know that God taps us on the shoulder before he sends a storm? I mean, I, can, I was thinking about this this week, like, Surely as Jonah was making his way from his home in Israel to the port city of Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea, like surely God was tapping him on the shoulder. Like, Jonah, don't go there. Jonah, I know you don't share my heart. I know you're telling me that you want me to have your heart. We talked about it last week, right? Like, God is saying, reflect me. Reflect my heart to people. Like, you don't think they deserve mercy, but but. I know that, that, that no one is beyond my mercy. And so Jonah is rejecting that. And he's walking away from God's assignment. And God's just tapping him on the shoulder. Jonah, come back. And Jonah persists and he keeps on to the point where God then has to send a storm. But even as God sends the storm, it is part of his mercy and his kindness to Jonah to bring him back into a vibrant relationship with him. And so let me just put it to you like this, Okay. God loves you too much to not grab your attention when you run from him. You may not want to pay attention. You may reject him. You may ignore the taps on the shore. Like, but, but God loves you too much to leave you moving in that direction. And so I would just ask you today, are you spiritually in tune with God? Are you living the kind of life that God has invited you to live where you'll experience maximum joy and, and be thriving in life because you're living according to God's design? Are you in tune with God? Are you, are you walking with him in the ways that he's called you to? Thankfully, God jolts Jonah out of his spiritual complacency. And as he does this, we learn a couple of other important, uh, you know, truths about prayer that we should consider, okay? Uh, number one, why we should pray to God, and number two, how we should pray to God, just in this example of 10 verses from Jonah. Number one, why should we pray to God? Because number one, God is in control. Like, God is over everything. Jonah said last week, I am a Hebrew. I follow, no, the God who made heaven and earth. And so God is sending the storm and God is sending the fish and God is doing what he does to bring Jonah back. I mean, and Jonah fully believes this, right? Because the whole prayer of the, the song is saying, hey, God, you did this. Verse three, you cast me into the deep. Your waves, your billows, like, yeah, the sailors may have thrown me in, but God, you were using them to grab my attention. So we pray because God is in control. But not only is God in control, like not only do we want a powerful God who is over everything, I'm glad to know that kind of God who is king over the whole world, okay? But we also want a God who cares. 
God is not only in control, God cares about, this is hard for us to believe, right? Especially when we're suffering, especially when we're really going through it, even if it's because of our own sinfulness, right? That that God cares about us. But listen to what Jonah says in verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of my despair, and what he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and he, God, you heard my voice. As one scholar pointed out, Jonah uh, Jonah finds himself counting on the attentiveness of the God that he has been ignoring. And God is very faithful to do that with us. Like when we, when we turn, like, have you ever been in, we'll just call it like a conflict, like a little, you know, little friction with a, with a friend or with a spouse or, you know, and, and there's a little bit of conflict going on and we all kind of have, you know, our, our kind of, we gravitate one way to kind of like, you know, uh, be, you know, be passive or, or kind of, you know, remove ourselves or, you know, sometimes we just want to solve it and fix it and so we just kind of fight it out. Um, well, well, what Jonah's doing here is he's just like giving God the cold shoulder, Right? He's just ignoring God. Like God's starting to grab his attention, and Jonah keeps turning the cold shoulder to God. But God meets his cold shoulder with open arms, right? So we, we pray to God because God is in control and God cares. But then you ask, how should we pray? And what I love about this chapter here is that there are so many, there is, there's one direct quote from the book of Psalms, and then there are three other chapters in addition to that one quote where Jonah is just praying the language of the Bible. So, like, when, any time when we're, when we're praying, it's good to pray God's word. But when we're really going through it, a lot of times when we're super stressed, when, when there are those moments of despair, we don't know what to pray. And so what better thing to do than to go to the Bible and just pray like, God, I know you're gracious and compassionate. Would you be gracious to me in these moments? God, I know you're slow to anger and abounding in love. I know you're good to all. You are over all that you have made. God, I know that you're in charge of this situation, even though I don't feel like you're in charge of this situation. And so God, help me to believe that you're good to all, including me, including them. Jonah praised the Bible. Charles Spurgeon, he was a a great uh, pastor in 19th century England. Listen to what he says in a very eloquent eloquent way. He says this, uh, here is a man, speaking of Jonah, inside a fish, with a book inside of him. And it was the book inside of him that brought him out of the fish again. He knew who God was because God has told us who he is in these scriptures. And so it's internalizing these scriptures, like knowing who God is, knowing that God is patient, knowing that God is loving, knowing that God is holy, knowing that God doesn't give up on us, knowing that God wants to reach down and lift us out of our despairing situation. The Jonah's just banking on all of that as he remembers who God is, and then he calls out to him for help. So would you let your despair drive you to prayer? And then number two, I know you've been waiting for this one, right? Number two, Praise God for salvation out of your distressing situation. Praise God for his salvation out of your distressing situation. At the end of verse 6, look, look back at it with me if you would. Turn on your app, look in your word here. We have this little word, yet. 
Like in, in light of all this, like Jonah's sinking down, weeds around his head, he's hitting rock bottom, waves are crashing over him. He's totally enveloped in these waves. It's almost like a watery prison. Like he is just, he is in like solitary confinement on his way to the grave. And then he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. The word pit was often associated with death, destruction. And he says, God in this moment lifts him up Jonah has, by the way, Jonah is a literary device that the author uses, okay, to show that Jonah has been descending from the very beginning of the book. He leaves his home and he goes down to Joppa, right? That's what it says in chapter 1. And then he's thrown into the sea where he's sinking further still. And so now he is in the pit. But God lifts him up. God changes his story. And so I want to show you how this works as we consider what God is doing here in this prayer of of Jonah. Okay, I want to give you two uh, similar related principles that I hope will encourage you in your walk with God this week. Okay, number one, what we learn from Jonah is that we can worship our way out of, don't miss this word, a vibrant relationship with God. We can worship our way out of a vibrant relationship with God. Okay, so if you are if you are a believer in Christ, if you've experienced God's grace and his salvation, and he's brought you back home to him, okay, then you we believe can't lose that relationship. Okay? It's sealed, it's there. God is committed to you in Christ. You can never lose that salvation as you persevere by his grace to honor him. And when you blow it, you come back to him, all right? But but when we turn away from God, what happens is that relationship, there is friction there that's undeniable, right? And, and when there's a friction in a relationship, when there is offense, then it begins to break down that vibrancy. That, have you ever been there? Anyone ever been there with someone you know, that you're close to? Anyone been there with God? I certainly have often and there. Man, I'm not, I'm not walking as closely with God. I'm not experiencing that vibrancy that I want on a daily basis. And so this happens with Jonah because chapter one, God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no, thank you. God says, take off there and tell them my message. And Jonah says, no, I'm going the opposite direction. And what we see happening here is, is this. Essentially, Jonah is valuing his own wisdom, his own plans above the plans of God. And the Bible has a really clear word for this. Like when we value anything more than God, when we prize and we count something, anything more valuable than God, even when it's our plans, then God calls that idolatry. We are are worshiping something other than him. So when we run from God, then we are running to something else. And that something else is another God in our life that we are saying, hey, this is more important than the one true God. 
And so again, like we can't read the book of Jonah and, and, and hopefully, like if we, if we do, then we're very unwise, all right? But hopefully as we read the book of Jonah, we're, we're looking in the mirror, right? Like that's what the Bible is anyway. It says in James chapter 1, verse 22, okay, that the Bible is a mirror and it helps us evaluate our lives, okay? So as we're seeing Jonah, we should be seeing ourselves and we should be considering like, how am I running away from God? Are there some relationships that I enjoy that are taking a downward spiral because of my own pride, because of my own selfishness, because of my unwillingness to forgive when someone has offended me or my pride that would prohibit me from going to them and asking for their forgiveness. Perhaps your greed leaves you always wanting more, like never satisfied. Like, man, I I want that, I need that. And I'm going to go after that. I'm going to spend more money on X, Y, and Z. And so not only does that like put you in a hole financially, but it also prohibits you from being generous to others. Maybe your eyes are never satisfied. So you turn back to pornography instead of loving your spouse or your future spouse if God has that in the cards for you. It's all, it's all idolatry, Right? We have approval idols, we have comfort idols, we have accomplishment idols. I don't know what it is for you, I don't know what your current struggle is, but I would assume that there's not one of us that doesn't have something going on in our life where we're tempted to run away from God in an area of our lives, multiple areas of our lives. And that's why we need to hear the the truth of verse 8. I think verse 8 is one of the strongest verses in the Bible on the cost of idolatry. What does it say? It says, those who pay regard to vain idols. Vain means empty. It means worthless, all right? Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Some translations would say, um, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. In other words, when we pursue anything but God, we are committing self-robbery. We're robbing ourselves of a deeper experience of God. So so perhaps you're here today and you've never really discovered uh, the beauty of God and how God has a plan and a design for our world, including your life. And you've kind of run from him your whole life instead of running to him. And, And you've chased after other things that you think would satisfy pleasure, sex, money, all the things that we talked about a few minutes ago. And you've never turn back to God. And so you have, like, in a definite sense in your life, forfeited the, the grace. Like, you've, 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 you've said, hey, I, I don't want that. I can do without that. And so you're missing out on an experience of God's steadfast love as he's trying to say, hey, I want to welcome you home. But in a different sense, and in a very real sense, for those of us who have experienced God's love in Christ, we still are tempted, right, to go back to things that ultimately won't satisfy us. We're still tempted to chase after things as we perceive them. We think, oh man, that's awesome. I want to go after that. And so we prize them in such a way that we are prizing them more than we prize God. And we're missing out. We're missing out on what God wants to give us. We're missing out on the deeper experience that he wants to give us on a daily, 
hourly, moment-by-moment basis. And so some words from another prophet in the Old Testament. Um, Wow, Uh, have always rocked me. I pray that they continue to rock me until the day I'm with Jesus. This is this, Jeremiah 2, verse 11 through 13. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods, all right? So like, here, here's, here's Jeremiah, okay, saying, look, the people of Israel, okay, just like sometimes the people of Redemption Hill, idolatrous. And, and what happens, and we're, we're exchanging our worship of God for the worship of these gods, even though they're not gods. They're like, they're empty, they're worthless, they're not God, they, they don't, they don't, they're not real, Right? And so he says this, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And this isn't a small offense. This is an offense that should grab the attention of the entire universe because he says this, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. Sound like Jonah? They've run. They said, I'm good. They said, I've got this. They said, I don't need your plan. I've got my own plan. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, wells that hold water, right? But they are broken cisterns that, in fact, can hold nothing. So I just want to call, like, for, for every person here today, whether you've never stepped into the life that God has for you or you have and you're tempted to take a side, step to the, to the right or the left, right? Okay, like no matter where you are in your journey, spiritually speaking, okay, like we all are tempted to seek to find satisfaction in life and other things. But God says it's only found in me. And so God uses this whole experience, Right? To say, look, Jonah, you, you, you were like these people. Like you, you worshipped your own plans. You worshipped your own vision for the world and for these people in Nineveh. And you didn't follow my heart. You reflected your own heart. He worshipped his way out of a vibrant relationship with God. But here's, here's the good news, right? The good news is that we can worship our way into a vibrant relationship with God. Prayer prayer is the vehicle by which we draw near to God. Jonah is crying out to God. He's saying, yet again, I'll look to your temple, right? My prayer is going to come into your temple. Like this is is worship imagery. He's saying, I want to worship you again. I want to be near you again. I want to treasure you above everything again. I want to forsake not you, but these broken cisterns that can hold no water. And I want to... pursue you the fountain of living waters and experience all that you have for me. I love the personal nature of this prayer. In verse 1, it's a summary statement. And, and to verse 2, and it says that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. At the end of verse 6, it says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Prayer is such a personal thing. Worship is such a personal thing. Living for and with God is such a personal thing. Dare we say it's an intimate thing. It should be more intimate than any intimacy that we experience with another person in this life. It's what God wants for us and with us. 
And when we begin to experience his salvation, it's going to move us to action. So this is where Jonah continues, and he says, look, um, as I'm coming back to you, as I'm remembering who you are, which, by the way, the essence of sin often can be described as like spiritual amnesia, like we forget who God is, we forget his plans for us, we go our own way, we do our own thing. And so verse 7, part of prayer is just remembering who God is and pursuing him again. And then verse 9, he says, look, I'm not going to be like these others who are continuing to pursue these vain idols, but I am going to come into your temple and I am going to offer thanksgiving and sacrifice and pay my vows. And then he ends with this climactic statement, all right, in verse 9 when he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so what Jonah is saying here is this, like, God, you are in control of everything, including our salvation. God offers us salvation. God pursues us with his salvation. We can't manipulate our way back to God. We can't perform our way like, God, I'm going to do X, Y, Z a thousand times, and I'm going to like be acceptable in your sight because all that I have done. It doesn't work that way. Salvation comes by God's initiative, and it happens only because God is willing in his mercy to give us what we are so often unwilling to give to other people, grace, mercy, forgiveness, love. And so I hope today that you have experienced God's salvation. I hope today that you are continuing to experience God's salvation. We need it as much today as we ever did, the day that we first believed in Christ. And if salvation belongs to God, not only is no one beyond the reach of his grace, that God can pull anyone out from the pit, right? But it also means that God can give his salvation to anyone that he chooses. And this is why the vision, like there's this, this phrase, this statement, salvation belongs to the Lord, it's found again, guess what, in the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible. And it's a vision of what is going to happen for all eternity. And it says there that there are multitudes upon multitudes, that, a number that no one could count. There are so many people, and those people are from every nation, tribe, and tongue, okay? people from every people group in the world. We look at the world news, we see what's going on with North Korea and the relationship with China and what we're doing in the Pacific Sea, and we see what's happening with the, you know, the climate deal and France and Germany and the Russia scandals and all this, and it's like, man, like what's happening in our world, and yet God is sovereign over our world? And not only is God sovereign over our world, and he's in control, but God is going to amazingly, including us, he's going to save people out of all of these places. These are places that God loves. Don't think that God doesn't have a plan for places like North Korea and America. God gives us his gift through Jesus. And that is, by the way, the point of Jonah 2. So if I could just summarize this whole, like, I'm sorry, this isn't a rhyme, right? But like the, the point of the sermon would be to call on Jesus, the true and greater Jonah, to experience God's salvation. You say, well, Tanner, look, like I know you went to school for this stuff, but I don't see, I don't see Jesus in Jonah too. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like Jesus said that, like as you read all of the Bible, that it's all pointing to him. 
And this one is super easy because Jesus explicitly says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, for just as Jonah was in was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so Jesus is our true and greater Jonah, who did not, listen to this, who did not just experience a near-death experience, but he experienced death for us. On the cross, Jesus was crucified so that Rather than us dying for the penalty of our sin, Jesus takes that sin on himself. And he was buried for three days and rose again on that third day that we might have life as he has had life. So the only way to experience this kind of deliverance, this kind of salvation is described here in the book of Jonah and certainly in the Gospels is to call on Jesus, to respond to him, to ask him to change us from the inside out. So I want to pray. I want to ask you to call on the name of Jesus today, whether it's the first time in your life or whether it's the thousandth time that we need him just as much today as we ever have. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this story of your relentless love. And so, Father, would you impress upon our hearts how much you desire to pour out your mercy and love to us. And God, we pray that we would call on your name, that we wouldn't be satisfied with other things that ultimately aren't going to come through, but that we would run back to you as you were running after us. God, I pray that for every person here today at Redemption Hill Church. So God, as we, as we sing and respond, Lord, we pray that you would move us to make decisions. Just like Jonas, he saw what was going on in his life. God, show us what's going on with us and bring us back to you, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.